Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, it's Isaac here. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, We are shaped by culture, no matter who you are. You you believe certain things based on what culture has told you. The filter by which we judge something to be believable or not is primarily built and structured by the greater culture. We are automatically influenced in the way we believe and what we believe. And I hope whether you're a Christian or not, you'd agree with that statement. And I think it's silly to imagine someone thinking that, you know, their filter is pure and untouched by culture. But anyways, consider this with me. Christianity is tolerated when it promotes and encourages actions and behaviors that our postmodern world embraces. So, for example, okay, Matthew 22, 39, we get this command as Christians uh, from God to love our neighbors, okay? And that command is happily accepted in the greater culture. No atheist or humanist or anyone that's kind of against religion or against Christianity, they're not going to laugh or mock or argue with that command. Why? Because they believe that too. They embrace loving others. But on the other hand, Christianity can be condemned and looked upon as arrogant and kind of stifling when it teaches truths that grind against that of the world. Uh, In this respect, take our topic for this week, the exclusivity of Christianity. You know, this truth that a majority of Christians believe has our culture, a lot of the times, looking at the church with perhaps feelings of disgust or annoyance or anger or even embarrassment, like when you're embarrassed for someone. Now, because of the nature of who we are, it's, it's easier, if you're a Christian, to be vocal about the Christian truths that our culture embraces. So, for example, no persecution really does follow when a Christian loves their neighbor in light of their beliefs in the supernatural gospel, right? Their actions are approved by culture despite their spiritual motives. But on the other hand, it can be difficult to voice the especially countercultural truths of Christianity. Why? I think there's lots of reasons, but I would say because of our innate fear of being disliked and unaccepted by others, but even worse than that, maybe we don't actually believe them. Now, our guest, Derek, will talk more about the exclusivity of Christianity, but I want us, whether you're a Christian, an unbeliever, or just a skeptic, to seriously think critically as we discuss this important subject about the exclusivity of Christianity. So here's our conversation. With me today is Derek Rishmaui. Derek is a systematic theology PhD student at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, He's written for various blogs and writes at his own blog called Reformedish. And he also co-hosts a podcast called Mere Fidelity. It's great to have you on the show today, Derek. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here. Firstly, what's your kind of your brief one to two minute testimony? How did Jesus save you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, in a sense, you know, he saved me like he saved everybody else 2,000 years ago on a cross. It's kind of a canned answer, but it's true. And it's, it's very important, I think, for most people to get in their head that the most important thing about their testimony is not necessarily all the details of my personal narrative with Jesus, but just with Jesus and his narrative for us. But beyond that, I was a church kid, so I don't remember a time not being a Christian. My parents raised me in a Christian home. I think they got saved a few months before I was born. And so I always went to church, always 
consciously believed in Jesus. Jesus loves me. This I know, or the Bible tells me so. Uh, but you know, I've gone through different stages of learning that this is real. And I can think of maybe 15 times I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was a little kid in some Bible study or at church, but I don't know which one of them it was or if God had done a work before that, before any of them. And so I've just always been raised in church, and it's been a matter of just clarifying commitment and understanding uh, new layers to God's love, God's grace towards me, the fact that I really need it. Uh, just along with everybody else who, you know, the guy who, the guy with the crazy testimony who, uh, you know, came to faith at 40 after a life of, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, that that's that's me too, in, in a sense, without ever having, you know, lived the wildness. So, yeah, I mean, but I, I raised in church, grew up, always in Bible studies, uh, ended up going to college, getting the call to ministry in college, and then going on and continuing studying, getting my master's, doing... Uh, a few years of, of ministry with college and young adult students, and then where I am today, which is doing graduate school work at uh, Trinity Evangelical. So I'm, I'm working on my PhD in theology right now, and just uh, walk with Jesus. That's so good. Well, thank you for sharing that. We're going to hit the issue of exclusivism, which I'm going to talk with you about in just a second. But first, you recently contributed a chapter to this book called Our Secular Age, which was from the Gospel Coalition. And you did the chapter on the subject of millennials. And if you go online, you've actually done other stuff on millennials as well. So you sort of have, well, seemingly a passion for them. To prepare us, though, for our conversation a little bit, I'm wondering if you could just give us a few points that you sort of outlined in your chapter that you think would be beneficial when considering this generation and their beliefs today. Yeah, so one of the main concepts I hit with that chapter was the fact that part of what it means to live in a secular age is not so much that everybody is a skeptic or that everybody is a non-believer. Uh, it's just more that uh, belief is not the default, a belief in God. Christianity. It's not the default anymore. It's one option among many. And that is true for everybody, right? And that's just part of the conditions of belief for everybody, you know, 17-year-olds to 70-year-olds. But with millennials, all of the historical conditions that have gotten us to this place, they have just hit us longer and, and more further down that historical line of experiencing the fact that there are a lot of other intellectual options out there, a lot of other ways of believing and organizing the way you look at the world. And so believers and non-believers are in this uh, space where they understand that there's different ways to live and understand the world. With millennials, what is distinct is, I think, one of the things that is distinct is just how long we have been online, um, the, the internet and technology and things like that. It, it, it just it further fragments the way that we process information, the, the avenues which we we can access it. So we, at any moment, can, uh, if somebody's making a claim, you know, we can Google and check check up on that and come up with 15 different positions on that same verse that the pastor might be preaching on in a sermon. And so that just changes the approach, uh, a lot of the way that we, we, we process things and the way that we understand uh, our beliefs as our beliefs. I think it puts a greater pressure in some ways to preach apologetically be aware of objections and skeptical uh, instincts in in our hearers in our generation, even among believers. Or be it's not just a matter of you know skeptics having an, an unbelief, you know, non Christians having questions. No, a lot of the Christians have many of the same questions. 
And so apologetics can't just be a hobby anymore. It's actually part of pastoral ministry is, is one thing that I, w- I would say. Not just rational apologetics in terms of, all right, here's five arguments for the existence of God, but you know, practical apologetics of works of mercy or answering moral objections, that sort of thing. And so a few of the nutshell points. No, and I think that's good. And I just even considering that as we go through this next kind of little bit of this conversation, I think is helpful instead of just attacking it kind of from any generation, I think it's specific to think about it through the millennials' eyes. So now kind of shifting to this idea of exclusivism, what do we mean? Because I think some people don't really understand completely what exactly that means when we say Christianity is exclusive. Um, And I thought it'd be kind of interesting just to hear from you how you'd explain this truth or this idea to someone really young, like a five-year-old, but also how you would explain to someone who's older and has done like PhD work, so maybe a peer of yourself. So yeah, and what are some scripture references that you would even point people to about this idea? So yeah, what does it mean that Christianity is exclusive? Yeah, that is um, that is tougher. Actually, the, the, the sad thing about graduate work is that sometimes it makes explaining things harder than <laughs> it was before you did it. So uh, when it comes to thinking about what exclusivity means for Christianity, there's a few different things it can mean. Okay. One is just to say that Christianity is, as a whole religion, is exclusive of other whole religions in the sense that if we're, if we're claiming what, which view has the best comprehensive view of reality, the truth, uh, especially the truth about God and salvation, Christianity is the truth. And every other religion is a blend of truth and falsity. Insofar as they contradict Christianity, they're false, but insofar as they agree, they have truth. You can also look at it from the angle of salvation. This is clearly not the five-year-old explanation right, right. I'm giving you. Um, question is, how, how are we saved, right? How are we saved for a lot of classic historic Christianity? The verse in Acts chapter 4, verse 12 kind of handles it. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus, right? And so the claim of that Christianity is exclusive is, is actually just to claim that salvation is exclusively found in Christ. And you can say that in two ways. Salvation is found exclusively in Christ in the sense that it is only Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, which forms the foundation or is the, I don't want to say mechanism, but yeah, the, the, the only way that we can come to a right relationship with God. That had to take place. That is the only basis upon which anybody comes into right relationship with God. It's exclusive of any other religion's claims for how we come into contact with God. So whether it's the Eightfold Path or the Five Pillars of Islam or any other system that says, okay, well, be a good person and you'll you'll encounter God. Or if you reincarnate the right amount of times, living the, the requisitely holy life in each one, then you'll come into contact with, with the divine. No, only Christ's life, death, and resurrection are the foundation for our salvation and union with God. So that's one element. The other element is, and this is, uh, and that's something that most Christianity has always affirmed. This other, this other half to it is still mostly traditional and has been affirmed throughout throughout Christian history, but is more controversial. Is the question of whether or not you have to know that, whether or not you have to actually become a Christian 
and have explicit faith in Jesus to be saved. So, so there's the question of who saves, and exclusivism says, oh, Jesus. But then the question is, do you have to believe in Jesus to be saved? And there, some Christians have disagreed over time. Some Christians, who uh, the position is called inclusivism, will say, um, well, it's yes, it's Jesus who saves, but it's not necessarily the case that you have to believe in Jesus to be saved by him. And so they'll point to, you know, the quintessential guy on an island who has never heard of the right, gospel right, right, or people in other times and places that just were out of reach of the gospel. And so that raises another question. So exclusivism has to do with the claim that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And it's got those at least at least two layers to the question. Is he the only savior? And do we have to know him as such for him to save us. When it comes to verses, it's really a matter of, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different ones. Ones that have been important for, for thinking about this, there's uh, just on the claim that Jesus is the only savior, uh, Romans five, uh, by, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous, or first Timothy two, five, there's only one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, or again, Acts 4, 12, there's salvation in no one else, or Jesus himself. Jesus has some of the most exclusive statements in the whole Bible. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And it's not even just this one little statement around it. He, he makes all sorts of other statements in the Gospel of John specifically. He says, those who come to him will never thirst. Uh, those who come to him will have light, water flowing out of him. They won't remain in darkness. And, and even more, you know, John 3.18, you know, those who don't believe in him will be condemned. Or those who don't honor him don't honor the Father. If they don't know him, if they don't know the Son, if they don't honor the Son, they don't honor the Father. That's John 5.23. So the claim that somebody can know God and love God in a saving way without knowing and loving Jesus or explicitly rejecting, Jesus seems to rule that out. Uh, or again, it, Paul, Paul's got the very famous section in Romans 10, uh, 9 through 15. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here's this crucial section, verse 14 says, how then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so the logic of that, that Paul is using there, it, it fits most with this kind of more classic exclusivist position of, of how are people going to call on Jesus' name if they've never heard it? And it's, it's confessing him with your heart and your mouth that is, is the saving confession. And so there's just a lot of scriptural material that points us in that direction. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, this is sort of a little added in question here. I just thought of when you're talking about the idea that exclusivism, you know, refers to that there's no other salvation in anyone except Jesus. But I'm just wondering if you can answer this in a short period of time, because we're almost already getting to our end of our conversation. But do people today think they need to be saved? Because I feel like 
would this even matter? Like telling a millennial that, you know, Jesus is the only way to salvation, do they feel like, oh, yeah, I guess I need to believe in Jesus? Yeah, and that's that's one of the bigger issues is that oftentimes this question won't even arise except by way of challenge. And so, you know, the, the question then, oftentimes you have to you have to step back a few. And and it the exclusivity is not just a matter of salvation, it is a matter of just okay, well, who's got the who gives you the fullest angle on the truth of human meaning of salvation, not just salvation in the future life, but in this life? Who who has the deepest answers to your social alienation that you feel? The fact that you know there's something wrong with the world. Everybody knows it. Which religion, which not just religion, which view of reality can account for for the most of your experience and can actually speak to your deepest hurts and pains. And at that point, claiming Christianity is exclusive uh, doesn't necessarily mean that no other religion says true things or that there is an overlaps. C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity had this great line where he said, basically, Christians get to be very broad-minded. We actually get to say that a lot of religions get a lot right. Only the atheist has to look at everybody throughout history and say, but most people, 95% of human history, and say, you've all been completely wrong about everything when it comes to uh, morality and the meaning of life and uh, spirituality and the divine and all that. Christians get to say, actually, you've all gotten a lot right, but there's more. There's a lot more, and we find it in Jesus. And so with that said, yeah, when it comes to millennials and, and speaking to them, oftentimes it's a matter of, okay, well, what do you care about? And let's see if the gospel has something to say to that, if, if there's something uniquely true that the gospel speaks to that. And often, most times there is. Yeah, no, that's good. Derek, a lot of critical thinkers that perhaps aren't, you know, Christian, they're just critical thinkers about religion and philosophy, things like that. But also a lot of Christians, there seems to be an issue with this truth a lot of the time, and they it's sort of a stumbling block that they're they're faced with. And I'm wondering if you could kind of speak into that a little bit. Like, I have ideas of why it's uncomfortable for some people, but yeah, why is this truth sometimes hard for people to swallow, even people that are, you know, Christians? Well, yeah, there's a there's a lot of reasons. One of which is just there's the worry that uh, a belief like this leads to violence, you know, religious exclusivism. If my religion is the one that has the truth, and your your religion is the one that is full of lies, um, I'm righteous, you're unrighteous, and that can lead to um, religious exclusivism and hostility and violence. And that has happened. And that that is one concern. Uh, another concern might just be the issue of humility. There's a very famous philosopher of religion, John Hick, who his main argument against exclusivism or any kind of absolute truth claim when it comes to religion is just that it's all truth is culturally conditioned. And it's very arrogant for anybody to claim that they have the right view, right? How could anybody claim that? And that's, there's something initially very appealing about that. It sounds very humble at first. And, you know, I've, I've been wrong about a lot before. And so there's something <laughs> <laughs> I still am in certain, in certain, on certain things, I'm, I'm sure. But the problem comes, say, with that one, there's an overreach move that happens when people go from saying, well, there's a lot of positions out there. How are you sure you're right to, well, nobody can claim to be right. How would you know? How would you know no one view is absolutely correct or ultimately true or the closest to the truth, you'd have to, you yourself would have to kind of occupy a position outside of time and place. Uh, you, you yourself would have to not be a 21st century North American and be able to look at all the positions and look at all of reality to be able to say, well, nobody 
nobody actually has the truth down. You'd have to have full access to the truth to be able to to do that sort of thing. Or, or put it this way, Herman Bobbink, he's a Dutch Reformed thinker. He, he talks a little bit about this issue in his systematic theology. He points out that making a claim like that, you have to make a very big assumption, which is that if there is a God, he's not very particular about how he's worshipped or how people think about him, that you, you yourself would have to know quite a bit about God himself and what he does, what does or does not matter to him. You yourself would have to rule out the possibility that God had gone out of his way to communicate truth about himself. How would you know that God hasn't hasn't gone to the, to the great lengths that, say, the Christian gospel has said he has gone to communicate truth about himself to the world? Uh, and not just communicate truth, but be truth to them, be salvation to them. And so you, you yourself have to, you have to make a big claim in order to, to, in order to argue that big claims like those of Christian exclusivism are not true. Just, just things like that. And so there, there's a lot more. I'm, I know I'm just scratching the surface and I'm sure there's some, some who is thinking, okay, but wait, I, I get it. You're, you're right. Uh, there are more things uh, to say here. We'll just jump to this last one really quick. But if true salvation, and we do believe that true salvation and just what we said, that just Christianity and its truth claims are exclusive, is there anything that we as Christians can be inclusive on? Yes, actually, the, the gospel itself is the most inclusive message there is. It includes, it includes a call and an offer of salvation to anyone, anyone who will believe, anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ, regardless of their race, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their past history, you know, outwardly righteous, inwardly terrible, outwardly terrible, inwardly kind of okay. Anybody, anybody, uh, the gospel is that anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, that, that his life, his death, his resurrection is for them and can be for them. And anyone can know God through Jesus, anyone who believes. And so, so this is, this is inclusive. This is in many ways, in the ultimate way is the most inclusive message. God's arms extend out to the world. You know, that's that classic verse that you see held up at, uh, at baseball games or maybe hockey games as Canadians. Yeah, um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but John, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The gospel itself is the most inclusive message, which is actually why Christian theologians and pastors have made the exclusive claims for it that they have, because every other message somehow leaves out a category. Every other message somehow leaves out the bad people, leaves out the poor people, leaves out the dumb people, right? Certain, certain Gnostic philosophies where, where if, you're, if you're wise enough, if you're smart enough to, to peer into the insights of the universe, and, and if you have enough time to meditate, you know, which means you're probably not working a job, which means you probably have enough money to have. No, no, the gospel says, no, the message is for you, for you wherever you are. And so that's why we have made exclusive claims for Christ to be as absolutely inclusive as possible of everyone. That's so good. Well, thank you so much, Derek. If you're listening right now and you're interested in more from Derek, and he blogs on a wide variety of topics, definitely check out his blog, Reformedish, which is DerekZRishmawi.com. I'll provide the link to that on our episode podcast page. Also check out Mere Fidelity, which is a podcast that he helps run. And you can find that at MereOrthodoxy.com. Again, I'll put the link on our episode page. But anyways, thanks again, Derek. And I, I hope to have you back on the show again. 
Isaac, it was, it was very, it was very nice to be on the show. Thanks. That was Derek Rishmaui. Again, all the links to the sites I just mentioned will be on our episode podcast page. Now, for those of you listening who are committed to Jesus, I just want to encourage and challenge you with some words. For those listening who aren't Christians or are kind of pretty skeptical, listen to what I'm saying and hopefully hear my heart. I remember hearing this analogy in Bible college and it stuck with me. I've also added just a few details, but nevertheless, here it is. Here's this analogy. Say you're driving on the back roads in some forest with, you know, lots of winding roads, sharp corners, and pretty difficult visibility. Say it's stormy, really, really, really stormy. Rain is just pounding down. Your wipers are on full blast. Well, just before you go around a sharp corner, say you get a text, and because you don't text and drive, you pull over and you answer it and you, you know, discuss whatever you're going to discuss with whoever's texting you. Now, as you pull back onto the road slowly and turn the corner, You hit the brakes because the bridge immediately after the sharp corner is completely washed out. You know, you think to yourself, whoa, like if I hadn't been going the slow speed I was, I'd have driven right inside of that mess and probably not survived. Now, the first thing that comes to your mind is, okay, not everyone coming around this corner is going to be going as slow as I was. You know, they won't have the chance to stop. So you decide to turn your car around and slowly drive back from where you came. And whenever a car, you know, was coming the other way, you'd flash your high beams and motion them to stop. And then they would stop. And then you'd say to them, hey, the bridge is washed out around the sharp corner. Watch out. Now, some people will automatically take your word for it. They'll turn around and they'll leave. Some will be skeptical and want to slowly approach the corner and see for themselves. And some won't believe you and just, you know, speed around the corner. Now, (laughs) this analogy can be used for many things, but look at it in terms of the exclusivity of Christianity. You are believing and saying to others an exclusive truth claim. You know, the fact that the bridge is washed out isn't up for discussion. It's it's washed out. It's, It's an absolute truth. And because it's absolute, you have no problem in telling others about it. In fact, it would be wrong and selfish for you not to go to great lengths to tell people. You see, the fact that Jesus is the only way to save people from the road to destruction should compel us as Christians to take very seriously our commission to make disciples of all nations. Yet we can treat Christianity as if the bridge isn't washed out and, you know, we just let people do whatever and we say things like, oh, it's their life, they're happy, or they wouldn't listen anyway. Now, the reality is the bridge is washed out. The end of this life isn't, you know, just nothingness or reincarnation or any of that sort of thing. It's it's actually perfect judgment. Now, we as Christians ought to let the exclusivity of Christianity really compel us to share with as many people as we can the saving and loving and grace-filled truth of Jesus Christ. I hope that analogy helps just a little bit. Well, that wraps up today's episode. We hope you join us next week as we host another conversation on life and faith. We'll see you then. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In Doubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with biblical truth 
and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. Through audio programs, articles, and blogs, InDoubt reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of InDoubt, visit indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.